Hello and welcome to episode 3 of the Mr Barton Maths Podcast with me, Craig Barton. Well, the thing that absolutely nobody apart from me is calling the Great Exam Board Podcast Trilogy is now complete. Following on from my chat with Andrew Taylor from AQA and Graham Cumming from Edexcel, tonight I spoke to Neil Ogden from OCR. And just before anybody accuses me of anti-Welsh bias, I have tried on numerous occasions to contact WJEC to invite them onto the show, but they are not returning my emails. It's like Craig Barton, the single years, all over again. Anyway, once again, in the interest of full disclosure, I am not in any way affiliated with OCR or any of the other exam boards. However, I must confess, at the recent MathsConf's meeting in Sheffield, I did take a free gift of an illuminating bouncing ball from the OCR Maths stand. They don't call me the set blatter of the maths world for nothing. Tonight, I spoke to Neil about loads of things, including if he could completely redesign maths GCSE assessment, what would he do? How difficult has it been to design papers and support materials for the new GCSE math specification? How are OCR's actual GCSE exam papers different to those of Edexcel and AQA? And why did they make those choices? The wealth of free resources that OCR have available. And once again, well you might as well, I push my luck over the issue of grade boundaries. I'll be back at the end of the show with a few final thoughts and of course our podcast puzzle. And just a reminder that you can contact me with questions for my future guests on Twitter, where I am at Mr. Barton Maths, or via my website and blog, which can be found at MrBartonMaths.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or anywhere else using the info on the podcast page, and if you fancy giving us a review on iTunes, then that would be great. So far, it's just my wife, and she needed bribing with that OCR bouncing ball to get her to give me five stars. Anyway, let's start the interview, and I will see you on the other side. So, I'd like to start, Neil, with three math speed dating questions. So, my first one is, what is your favourite number and why? Okay, well, I guess there's discussion over whether it's actually a number or not. Oh, quite a controversial that, uh, start, I like this. <laughs> um, infinity is probably around where my favourite number would lie. It's kind of the interest I have and just kind of um, going off into the extremes and sort of trying to, you know, decipher exactly what is out there and um, what concepts come about as we approach the limits that are out there in the extremes. When did you first come across the kind of concept of infinity? Can you remember as a student a particular moment where it dawned on you just how kind of amazing a concept it is? Well, it was always something I was aware of through school and everything like that. And then I guess it was in um, a few years ago when I actually sort of started to read about the concepts that are actually underlying it and um, the ideas that, you know, the fact that there's supposed to be more decimals between zero and one than there are numbers reaching out to infinity is um, crazy ideas, but I find it, you know, all absolutely fascinating. And so that is kind of, yeah, whether you wish to define it as a number or not, that's certainly, um, yeah, where my interests are. 
Oh, very nice, very nice answer. Um, sec- second question, um, what was your favourite uh, maths topic as a student to learn? Okay, well, before we got into kind of looking at the extremes of infinity and things like that, I think my favourite topic was just kind of around um, simplification, um, just working with algebra and sometimes you take a really complex looking um, formula or something like that, but just the way you'd be able to reduce it down and simplify it and i just found something really satisfactory about all of that oh, i wish my year 11s felt the same kind of passion for that we've just been doing that today and it's uh, been a bit of a disaster maybe i'll bring you in there to yeah, yeah. share the love for a bit you of a... Do. <laughs> and finally uh, what job would you like to do um if you weren't in your current role at ocr okay well i I actually genuinely really enjoy what I'm doing at the moment. Um, so if I was going to be doing something else, it would probably be something um, completely different and out there and just, uh, yeah, and um, writer or looking into particular research or film director or astronaut or something crazy like that. But, um, you know, I, I really enjoy what I'm doing at the moment. So I'm quite yeah, content and happy with this. Oh, that's good to know. Um well, we've uh, we've had a question that's literally just come in a, a couple of seconds ago on Twitter, and this is from Mel from Just Maths, and, and this this hopefully will tie into something I, w- I want to touch upon first. She says, "Is Darren Macy really Superman?" And the reason I think she's asking this is, is she's just forwarded me this uh, this advert here or this uh, kind of banner that says, uh, "When a teacher calls, I'm ready," and it's a, a lovely photo of Darren on there, and he says, "Meet Darren, motorbike enthusiast and Ironman triathlete, but for busy maths teachers." in need of a guiding hand it's not his running cycling or swimming that sets him apart it's his special ability to make everything instantly clear and the reason i wanted to bring this up is what are your individual roles within the ocr math team because it's very much a, a, a team when i when i look on your website so can you just talk briefly through what each of your roles are okay yeah sure um well darren most definitely is a superman <laughs> and we all all of us within the team are all either supermen or superwomen we like to think um the the um subject specialist promotion that darren was a part of is one that's continuing over the next few months and uh, if you keep an eye on the press you may well see a few other members of the team going up there um but in terms of the way the team fits together um, we're all working together on qualifications, um, but we all do have specific individual qualifications that we all tend to focus on. Um, so um, myself, along with um, Caroline, another member of the team, um, work on the GCSE maths papers. Um, obviously, at this point in time, we're accredited with those. So we're mainly working on the support, creating resources, going out and speaking to teachers, at you know, individual teacher networks or at conferences and things like that. So the um, where we are at the moment with the GCSE is very much a, a dialogue, um, you know, with our teachers, you know, making sure that we're all out fully supporting the qualification. Um, other members of the team are working on different qualifications. So, for instance, Darren, along with Will Hornby, are currently looking at um, the A-level redevelopment. So, obviously, at this point in time, they're quite heavily working on um, building up the new qualifications that. Um, A-level, both maths and further maths is going to become, looking at, you know, the new content, new sample assessment materials for those um, and bringing all of those together. So at this point in time, they're much more um, office-based, desk-based, along with going out and having um, meetings with Ofqual and the DFA and the the like, um, the other awarding bodies. Um, And they're kind of the two 
sides to the job really there's kind of like the office based side to it as well as the um just going around and actually speaking with teachers and interacting so this is you know two very important sides to the qualification sort of um subject specialist role and is it has it been a busy and stressful time over the last kind of 12 months or so getting to the stage where we're at now um, yeah, well, it's certainly been busy. Um, certainly a lot of work um, going on in you know the qualifications field. Um, a lot of redevelopment happening, along with a lot of new qualifications that are out there that we're building up a lot of support for. Um, so it's certainly busy. Um, in terms of stress, some of the timescales, I admit, have maybe been um, bringing about um, certain stresses at periods, but it's... it's it's really good to be able to get out and speak to teachers as well and kind of get that feedback as well that, you know, we, we're, we're on the right track and things that we're doing are successful. So it's kind of really good that we can, you know, have that interaction as well. So it kind of that kind of like tends to bring down the stress a bit, you know, when you're actually doing stuff and you're really on a day to day sort of seeing the, the feedback and, you know, understanding how these things are working and how they're being re- received is um is you know really good for the role and before we turn our attention to the new gcse specification uh, just a couple of questions about the current one which is obviously in its final final run through will you be sad to see the current specification go or are we in need of a change um well the current specification um was um one that i was quite heavily involved in um obviously we are you know looking at the new one now but i, I was in charge of um that one of the GCSE math specifications that we had. So I've kind of been quite, you know, heavily involved with that. And yeah, I will be sad to see it go. It was kind of, you know, we, we spent a lot of time on that working with it. Um, I can see why some of the changes have been brought in for the new qualification. Um, but um, it's a case of where you're sort of starting the redevelopment as well. I mean, there's a lot of focus put on reforming, you know, the qualifications, you know, at GCSE level and at A level. And sometimes there's a lack of, you know, determination to change um, other areas of the curriculum. So um, it's, yeah. Which which of the changes that have been made do you think are good changes? Um, well, I quite like the, there's a lot more sort of investigative aspects to the new qualification. So more working around understanding and problem solving and getting to grips with, you know, maths in the day to day life. And I understand that they are often quite hard to, you know, introduce in the classroom. Um, but it's a, a lot of those aspects I see are the kind of maths that we'll take on and use in, you know, future life and future living. Um, so I so I, you know. I'm pleased to see a lot of those come in. What do you reckon? Because I, I hear this a lot about the new GCSE is more problem solving. What, what what do you kind of mean by problem solving? What do you take problem solving to mean? Well, I think there have been more than a few working groups actually going to try and find a definition of problem <laughs> solving. Um, it's just, for, for me, it's kind of the idea of bringing together different different areas of maths. I mean, there there is a line of thinking that says problem solving is, you know, where the method isn't clear, and there's certainly an aspect to that. But the idea of problem solving to me is um, more about just bringing together different areas, and it isn't just one set, you know, method 
through a problem. It's the idea of bringing in different concepts, different ideas, and maybe trying something out. And um, at the end of it, evaluating that and sort of starting to think, well, I might have got to an answer, but is that the best answer? Is that, you know, is, might there be a more efficient method out there? So that's kind of some of the ideas that I have around it. But it's, it's I'm sure I don't need to tell you, it's quite an open-ended idea. That's a nice definition, though. I like that one. Um, if you were in full control of everything and you could completely redesign, redesign assessment of maths GCSE, what would, the, what would be the kind of things that you'd like to see in place? Well, I, I was never fully, you know, I was never completely against the idea of coursework in maths. I mean, it's been a part of previous specifications. It's been decided that it's not really going to be a part of um, many of the new reformed qualifications at the moment. And there are, you know, arguments for and against it. But um, there, there, there is a lot of maths that is better approached in sort of coursework and doing project work rather than just quick exam questions as the GCSE assessment tends to be. So that, you know, I, I, would, I would like to look a bit more into that, you know, if I was given, you know, full scope to have a look around, you know, what whatever we could make a GCSE to be. For our younger listeners, and uh, unfortunately, I, I now find myself in a department where I'm the, the third oldest in there, and I, I taught coursework for the first two years of my teaching career. It's my 11th year of teaching now. Could you just outline what the arguments for and against coursework were and and why it was abolished because like you and I, I don't think there are many of us around actually I was a huge fan of coursework and the questions themselves I still use them on a very regular basis some of the best you mentioned problem solving before and investigation some of the best problem solving and investigation and low barrier high ceiling questions I've ever seen are the old coursework uh, questions so what what were the what were the good things and bad things about maths coursework Okay, well, well, the good things were the things that you were sort of suggesting there, the idea that we could have larger questions and questions that weren't particularly just set with a straight route through, the idea of sort of more experimental ideas and some of the coursework ideas, you know, actually had sort of a more practical side mm. to them where the investigations were actually, you know, being done in the classroom with, you know, actual experiments being run and those sort of, an overlap there maybe with science but I mean that kind of brings in the idea that qualifications in future life aren't strep, you know set narrow things you know we do look to different areas of the curriculum to do many tasks that we do um, and it was that kind of investigative approach that I thought was really important and not just the idea that maths is short questions each going through a topic in stages um, the arguments against it have largely been based around um, that it's challenging to mark um, most of it was being marked um, in classrooms and then they had to have moderation come in and it was quite a lengthy procedure um, so it it has been decided that for the time being, it won't form a part of many qualifications unless there is a, a, a strong case that can be put forward for it. And in the case of GCSE maths, that case hasn't been um, part of the you know, part of the qualification reform. Do you think there's scope for um, an innovative exam board to um, have a standalone, essentially coursework 
paper where there's one question, maybe a choice. Students have to choose one out of three or four questions, but crucially they only answer one question and maybe it's a, a one and a half hour exam or a two hour exam. And it's it's just purely an, a coursework style investigation where students have to be creative, structure their answers, communicate, hypothesize. Is that something that you could see working? Under the present kind of guidelines, it's not the sort of thing that could work because of the very strict weightings that we've got to meet in terms of creating a paper around the content and the assessment objectives. And as soon as you get into students selecting a particular question, they probably won't be hitting the content, um, the topic requirements, weightings that we're required to have. Um, so I don't think um, under the present conditions it could be a part of assessment. Um, but certainly for the future, it, you know, could be could well be something that we look towards doing. It'd be nice even because I've, I've spoken publicly how, how I'm a big fan of um, AQA's level two further maths qualification. And obviously that's something different to GCSE and is assessed differently and so on. I'm just thinking that that would be a, a really nice paper that I would imagine quite a few schools it obviously wouldn't necessarily need to be a GCSE but a, a separate qualification there will be something that quite a few schools may well be, be keen for because it would be a real challenge for their students and it would equip them with the kind of skills necessary for a new new challenging A-level that's that's around the corner and also for university and cross-curricular applications and so on I'm, I'm just thinking there might be there might be something in that a coursework style exam paper maybe I, I don't know maybe I'm just maybe I'm talking a load of rubbish here. No, but, no, uh, <laughs> fine. I mean, it is something that we're looking at quite a lot at the moment. The the idea of um, extension papers, sort of beyond the GCSE criteria requirements. Um, I think we're kind of held down a bit at the moment because the role of that paper would probably largely be to be a bridge between GCSE and A level. And at the moment, we kind of know what the GCSE side is going to be. Um, but the A-level side is obviously still under redevelopment. So it, it's kind of we can sort of potentially look where it might be. But I don't think we're going to see too many um, ideas coming about that until sort of the A-level is solidly grounded. Um, but, we, we, you know, obviously I've got um, the FSMQ qualifications that we have that are well received and fit into that area. There isn't a coursework one, I admit, but um, it's, you know, it's, it's around that area that, yeah, I think, you know, the scope to have a look. If we turn our attention now to the new GCSE, um, you, you've, you've said it's been quite a busy and at times stressful process um, over the last 12 to 18 months. Can you just talk us through that process so the, the programmes of study get released um papers get written sample assessment materials feedback on those redrafting and then we're at the stage where we're at now what's been the hardest part of that process for you well the hardest part was probably putting the papers together um normally when a qualification sort of is running in a in a live environment we're in a position in time where we know all the weightings and the requirements to write that paper and we can just you know, give that guidance to an individual person and say, here are the, all the requirements. Can you produce as a GCSE paper to fit those? At the point in time um, when we were writing the sample assessment materials for the GCSE, there are a number of the requirements that we didn't know. So we were essentially having to um, commission um, a number of writers to write 
separate questions and then it was only later as the guidelines um, became got released that we could start to put those together in, into you know actual GCSE papers and it was that working the questions into papers that I think was probably the most challenging um, there are a huge number of constraints that we have to work to when putting GCSE papers together from um, demand to content areas to assessment objectives and as I'm sure you may be aware, those assessment objectives at a headline level, there's only three AO1, two and three. But within those, they break up into a number of sub elements and statements. And so there's about 22 different lines for us when it comes to assessment objectives, each of which we've got to tick off and make sure that we're falling into the right requirements for. So to actually make up a paper from a number of questions was you know incredibly challenging to put everything together and is that is that something that was different from the from the current specification were, were the because um, obviously we have the AO1 2 and 3 in the current spec but were they not broken down into specific sub levels like the new spec is um, for the current GCSE for the outgoing GCSE no there are just three assessment objectives um, they don't have the level of detail that the assessment objectives have for the new qualification. Even if I'd say that there are three sort of headline assessment objectives, but even when they have been printed and published underneath of them, there are a number of bullet points. It's those bullet points that are broken up into these elements that I was mentioning where there are roughly 22 of them that fit down underneath those. But for the current, the outgoing GCSE, um, there are only ever three statements. So these 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 bullet points, because again, maybe I've missed something here, but I just thought they were just giving a, a little bit more information about what those uh, specific um, assessment objectives were. But these are actual essentially checklists. Is that right? That you need to tick off each bullet point what across a set of three papers or across each paper? How, how does that work? Um, well, it's across the assessment as, as a whole. So each assessment would have to make would have to meet those requirements. So you could have a paper that was slightly out, but then you'd have to have another paper that was bringing that back into balance. Um, so the approach that we would generally go for is that all three papers, you know, have the same makeup. Um, but yes, for definite, um, those bullet points underneath the AOs are definitely a checklist when it comes to um the awarding bodies kind of writing them um, each of those bullet points becomes a point in its own and a number of those bullet points are broken down into further statements that we have to check off so I think there's one on the assessment objectives list it's something like um, transform information in mathematical or non-mathematical contexts into mathematical or non-mathematical processes and the way that that is worded in the assessment objectives that we have is um, mathematical into mathematical, mathematical into non-mathematical, non-mathematical and mathematical, oh, etc. So that is, you know, very much broken down for us into this long list of assessment objectives sublevels, and that's all in a document available from Ofqual. Um, it's it's up in their um, subject level terms and conditions, which I'm sure anyone interested can find via Google question that's springing to mind here is how on earth do these papers get written because i'm assuming that 
there's not just one person writing each paper. I'm assuming there's a kind of team of writers that submit questions and they get assembled into a paper. Well, that, is, is that how these papers are put together? Well, that's how we had to do it for the development, because as I say we didn't really know the requirements. We couldn't provide a blueprint to, to someone for a paper because a lot of the um, requirements weren't fixed. I uh, see. Now, now that they are clarified with Ofqual, we can now um, give that blueprint to someone and say, can you write us a 90 minute question paper? It needs to be, a, you know, 50 marks AO1, 25 AO2. And then we've got the balance of content to make up and then the balance of demand as well to make up. <laughs> now we know all of that. We can give all those to, to a setter and ask for a question paper. But in a world where a lot of those things weren't known, the only thing that we could do is um, ask for individual questions to be written. And was that was that the stage we were at when the first batch of sample assessment material papers got released by the boards? Were you at the stage when they were being put together? Were you all still a little unclear as to exactly what needed to to be involved in these papers? And did that in some way explain why there was quite a wide variety of demand between Edexcel, AQA and OCR and some differences in content? Okay, well, in terms of the requirements on paper, everything was set at that point in time. Um, the first sets of sample assessment materials were released around the summer, mm. and the uh, the period in time that I've just been speaking about was um, much earlier in that year. I think where there were issues around comparability between the first sets of sample assessment materials, that probably came about because... It wasn't until later in that year, I think it was October or November, um, that we actually got the information that came out of Ofqual that said a grade four should be comparable to a grade C, for instance, and actually pinned down a lot of um, the grades in terms of comparison. Up at that, up until that point in time, we had been told, you know, half of a foundation tier paper should be grades one to three, and the other half should be grades three to five. But we hadn't actually had those grades defined. So it was quite hard to know exactly where we should be pitching in with the base level of demand. You know, we we're told we had to write papers around a grade one. But where grade one, aside from being, you know, the minimum grade achievable, that hadn't really been nailed down where that should fit. Um, so that was probably why there were issues of comparability, because we... Each of us had different ideas about where we should be pitching in with that base level of demand. I see. And are you at the stage now where you're confident that the most recent set of sample assessment materials that you have will be a, an accurate and fair reflection of the content difficulty and style that we're going to see when the papers go live for the first time in 2017? Yes, yes, for definite. There's been a lot of work done since then. I'm sure we've all seen the research program that came out of Ofqual. Um, following that, and indeed in the period immediately before that um, research program was running, um, there were a number of meetings that ran between all of the awarding bodies and Ofqual together, getting together to really sort of nail down exactly what sort of requirements were required and where we were going to sort of set things so we should, so that we could have much more comparability between all of us. Um, also, at that point in time, we'd have the release from Ofqual. And the sort of, you know, 
set down roughly where comparability was between the new numbered grades looking back to the old lettered grades so we could then sort of get a more of a feel around you know where each of the grades should sit and where you know the level of demand for each of the papers should be um, should be set I'm going to return to the uh, burning issue of uh, grade boundaries uh, later on so that's something for you to look forward to but before we get to that I'm just going to ask you about differences between OCRs, GCSEs compared to AQA and Edexcel. And I'm not talking here about the resources um, that you've got available and support materials. We'll, we'll get onto those in a few minutes. But am I right in saying that OCR have, have got a few specific actual differences between the papers themselves that um, different to AQA and Edexcel? And I'm thinking in terms here of the, the number of marks per paper and, and some differences with the presentation of the, the formula embedded within the question. Can you just talk through what those differences are and um, OCR's rationale for them? Okay, yeah, sure, no problem. Um, well, the, the first difference that you might see, as, as you say, is indeed the number of marks. Each of our papers has got 100 marks to it compared to other awarding bodies that have only gone for 80 marks per paper. So each of our tiers is hence composed of, you know, 300 marks. Um, where we, each of our papers has got an extra 20 marks, I'm sure everyone would be pleased to hear that that isn't because we're putting an extra 20 marks worth of questions into them. Um, the reasoning that we have gone for is that we're, we're putting a bit more um, more marks into each question. So each question has got a slightly higher mark allocation to it. And that's going to be key when, when you're putting mark schemes together, because if you've got more marks allocated to a particular question, you can then have those marks allocated to slightly finer levels of working as a student progresses through a question. Um, so, you know, you can maybe allocate a mark to putting a formulae down or something like that that if you've got a reduced number of marks to a question, you might have to do a bit more working into the question before you can actually start to allocate marks, you know, within the mark scheme too. And that's obviously something that's going to um, be a huge benefit to students right across the levels of demand. But the, the other benefit it brings in is where you start to think about grade boundaries. So if I say that each of our tiers is out of 300 marks, then you can imagine that the grade boundaries on our qualification are going to be slightly wider than if you're only working with, say, 240 marks. So for those students striving for, you know, the top grades, say those students, you know, trying to get the grade nine, they're going to have a slightly wider grade boundary to get into for us. They're not going to be as held back by every mark that they lose. There's just going to be a bit more flexibility up at the top end. Um, is working its way through with all the grade boundaries because, as I say, we're working with wider grade ranges across the numbers of marks. And did the awarding bodies have complete choice over how many uh, marks were available for each paper? There was no restriction imposed on that? Um, yeah, that that was not um, a part of any of the off-call requirements. So that was the you know decision that we made each of us individually. Though. That's that's interesting, that isn't it? Because I um I just assumed that um it was kind of a choice between a eighty or a hundred per paper. Where, where did the other boards? I, I obviously should have asked Andrew and Graham this, but where did the two forty come from? Do, have you any idea why it was decided eighty, eighty, eighty for the other boards? 
Well, there's always been this idea around you sort of play to a mark a minute. Ah, right. And it, it, so it kind of comes in around that. I mean, you, you could go with different ideas, but there's been a general school of thought that's gone around GCSE maths papers for a number of years that it's kind of you play around a mark a minute. And most GCSE papers, certainly from the OCR specifications, have worked around that. So it kind of comes around that idea. And I guess it's just a case of which side of it you you start to fall. I see. So just for clarity here, your papers are 100 marks, but they last the exact same amount of time as all the other awarding bodies. Yeah. And when you start to look into them, there's there's comparable numbers of questions as well. Our, our question papers do have more marks, but I certainly wouldn't say that, you know, there's more questions to be worked through as part of that. It's simply down to the individual question mark allocation. I see. And any other specific differences about the papers themselves? We've placed the non-calculator paper second. Yeah, what was what's the logic there? Well, I think as part of, you know, as we're looking around and considering different models, um, we're always aware and part of the discussions that we had with teachers, you know, kind of had this idea that without a calculator, a lot of students, they're just that bit more hesitant. You know, a lot of students do enjoy the, you know, the comfort and the confidence that just having that calculator can bring them. And we didn't want to set off straight away with having that non-calculator paper as being the very first paper that students see. So we wanted to start things off with a calculator paper, hopefully bed in a bit of reassurance and confidence in them, and then move into the non-calculator paper and then finally finish with the calculator paper. That's it. That's interesting. And have you done... Um tests on that to see how it affects students performance and also get feedback from teachers and and students about whether they prefer that order it was largely done discussions with teachers so um it we 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 looked at a different number of different models as we were doing trialing um but the, the the idea of um where we sat the non-calculator paper it was mainly coming through discussions um I see. And am I right in saying that there's some difference with the presentation of the mathematical formula within your papers? I think that there is a difference. There was initially a difference, but I think other awarding bodies have started to say the same. The approach that we have gone for and all of our papers right from day one, um, when we put out the very first draft SAMs, have gone for the approach that we do not have a formula sheet um, formula sheets are all well and good, but they do often sometimes students sometimes forget to look at them or they might miscopy a formula or they select the wrong formula. So they're not without issues. Um, so the idea that we had for the new GCSE paper is that rather than having formulae on a formula sheet on page two, the idea that we would go for instead with those formulae that we can give is that we would have each of those formulae actually within each individual question. So it would be there in front of the student when they read through the question and then they can carry on their working down underneath that. So that is the approach that we've gone for. And that has always been the, you know, the way formulae have been set out within OCR's papers for the new maths qualification. Not sure I can say it's a difference now, though, because I believe others have said that they will go in and take that same approach. They've, they've stole that idea by the by the sounds of it. Um, any other major differences um, within the papers, or is is that is that probably the end of it? In terms of the papers, I think that's largely 
the, the main difference as discussed. Um, we don't have multiple choice questions within our papers. I'm aware that someone else does, but I'm equally aware that another, the third awarding body um, doesn't along with us as well. So in terms of differences between the papers, I think that's you know, the main thing set out. Okay, so let's turn our attention now to the support that you've got available for teachers because it's a, an incredible time of uncertainty uh, for us teachers here knowing the, about the, the changing content, the changing difficulty. So um, feel free to kind of tell us as much as you like about this because the, the other two awarding bodies have, have certainly done the same. What what are the best support materials you've got available for for teachers who are perhaps uh, thinking of doing OCR or maybe are doing another awarding body but could use some of your materials. So what have you got available and where can teachers get them? Okay, well, um, first off thing I'll say then is where things are available from. So all of our support materials for the new GCSE maths qualification sits on the OCR website. It's got its own GCSE maths page and that is quite simply www ocr.org.uk slash GCSE maths, quite simple. Um, anyone can get onto that page. There's no password, there's no username, no registering, anything like that. So everything that we put up there is free to go up, take a look, take it away, use it in classes. You don't have to be you know, particularly looking at our qualification to take away these resources and use them. Um, so in terms of resources and support, um, the Besides the sample assessment materials that we've just discussed, I guess the main thing um, teachers will probably be looking for when they first look uh, at the makeup of the OCR specification is the actual specification document itself, um, which is um, the document that lists all the content and the requirements of the specification. And ours is crucially quite different to that of the other awarding bodies. The way that ours is different is the way that it sets out the content so the content that is required for the new GCSE maths qualifications is the same content for each awarding body that was published by the DFE in October, November 2013, so over a couple of years ago now. That document, the content was listed in a long list of statements, one after the other, statement after statement after statement after statement, each describing the content that was required for the GCSE. Are these the kind of N1, N2, all those ones? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it broke it down into the various content areas. But within those, it, it was simply text. Yes. Was, you know, wording after wording. It was quite hard to get into. Yes. A lot of those statements discussed several different topics within the same statement. Um, the demand was all together it was all kind of underlined and bold yes. and crucially there weren't really any examples of exactly what was meant by some of these i mean it's it's quite easy to talk about fractions or algebra in words but actually making sure that you're understood can you know be a challenge somehow um they that's the statements as they were published for the qualification requirements and other awarding bodies have look to repeat those statements verbatim within their own specifications. Yes. And I can understand why they've, done, why they've you know, taken that approach because, after all, it is the required content for GCSE maths. Yes. But the approach that we've gone for within the specification is rather than just repeating those statements as a long list of text underneath each other, 
we took all of those statements and we broke them down into the fine elements of content and then we built those back up. So rather than presenting it into in a list of statements, we've gone for a grid structure. So every little fine topic has got its own separate cell in this grid structure. It builds down in terms of topic progression and then it builds across in terms of demand so that you can then see on sort of a two-way approach exactly where each piece of content sits. Within those, we've given lots of um, different examples as well. Um, so we're actually, you know, showing into, you know, mathematical notation, mathematical terminology, exactly what sort of topic level we're talking about. The other thing that we've gone for is there are three columns of content within the specification. And you might ask why we've gone for three columns of content. You know, why not just two? There are two tiers after all. So why not just have a foundation tier and a higher tier column? And the reason for that is because there's quite an overlap in terms of what was required um, in this GCSE content with key stage three learning. There are a number of topics set down within the GCSE content that there's, a, there's an overlap with them at key stage three. And there's always, you know, in previous specifications been, the, you know, the idea that key stage three knowledge would be, you know, that knowledge would be assumed and it yeah. could crop up within the assessment. The new GCSE actually, you know, sets a number of those topics down within it. And we didn't want to just take those key stage three overlap topics that are part of the GCSE content mix them up with the rest of the foundation to and present it to teachers in the specification saying here you go here's one big huge block of content those topics that are part of the gcse but are also those that are you know coming in with key stage three we felt that those really deserve to be set out separately so that's the approach that we've gone for that's why we've got this third column that sits at the front of you know our foundation and higher tier columns of the GCSE specification. It's nothing additional, it's nothing extra, it's all what's in the GCSE requirements, but we've simply separated out those topics that you know would likely to be being delivered in key stage three. So the benefits of that is if anyone is considering delivering GCSE over a three-year program, we've got in a single column those topics that you might want to consider delivering in year nine. If anyone is, you know, thinking of doing GCSE in the traditional two-year route, well, that you've then got a column of content that you can probably say students are probably going to come, be coming into this qualification with a bit of knowledge for. Higher, um, higher sets, you can probably say, well, hopefully they've got this, you know, a solid grasp of these. We can maybe do a quick of a diagnostic and then move on to the, um, the higher topics with lower ability sets you might want to spend a bit more time revisiting those those areas of content within that first column to make sure that they've got a solid grasp of those before progressing on to um the other column i see and each i mean it sounds an incredibly useful document and i've um i've obviously got a copy of it myself am i right in saying because this is something that's received quite a lot of attention on twitter that it's not possible to say this is a grade four topic, this is a grade five topic, this is a grade six topic, because the content could be assessed at any grade level. Is that a fair? Is that a fair point to make? Yeah, that's correct. I mean, awarding bodies have never really gone out in the past and kind of said this topic is at this grade. Um, I'm aware that a number of different publishers and resource providers have gone and done that, and that that's fair enough. 
Um, but from the awarding body point of view, we've never really gone out and attached, you know, grades to particular content areas. Um, but for this new qualification, yeah, it, it is definitely true. There, there is um, this idea that simple topics shouldn't just be dealt with at the lower ability, that those concepts and ideas should yes. be um, brought forward and considered in, you know, either problem solving or, you know, slightly higher levels of questions. So we're not just simply asking everything at a particular level that it kind of initially comes in at, but the idea that everything kind of builds and grows and you can take what can be fairly simple content areas, but then you can use those at a much higher level. And that really kind of helps bring together the idea that, you know, maths isn't fixed you know there, there are different ideas that you can take off and expand in different routes and then you can bring in this other topic and everything just kind of grows and builds and i think that you know that that's, that's a good part of the qualification i admit there are some hard concepts to grasp in that but when you can get that i think it opens up a lot more ideas are we at the stage where we can say we can take a particular question and say this is a grade two question, whereas this is a grade five question, whereas this is a grade eight question? We're close. We, we can say it around the initial ideas that Ofqual put out. But obviously, at this point in time, we can't really put out grade boundaries. And so the, the border lines could shift. So we there's obviously the information that's come out of Ofqual that compares um, the numbered grades to the old lettered grades and speaks about how um, the new numbered grades will be awarded in 2017. So we can kind of look back to how the grades sort of level out compared to the previous lettered approach and get an idea for where things should fit. But when it comes to the actual grade boundaries, as I say, things could move slightly around. So um, we've got a feel for where questions fit but the the edges are kind of bleeding together i think because for, for me and i think a lot of teachers the absolute dream here and this is aside from the the gray boundaries which we'll touch upon in a few minutes but in terms of a supporting resource the idea that you could look up any topic and you could see an example of a grade one question grade two question right up to a grade nine question on any particular topic and obviously it's not going to work for for all topics some are exclusively higher uh, we know that but wherever possible to see an example of a question of all the different grades ability i think that would just be the it'd certainly be the holy grail for me and um, is that something that's possible in the in the near future it's something that's possible in the future. I'm not sure if it's <laughs> something possible in the near future. Um, but it's kind of the concept um, that we were working with when we um, created what we've called the check-in tests. Yes. Which are another of the resources that we've got up on the OCR GCSE Maths website. So the way that the GCSE content was provided, it was broken up into three groups. Um, which was in the initial DFE document, it was the standard, the underlined and the bold mm. um, content. And then that kind of fed through into levels of demand. So within our specification, that is kind of where the three column idea built out of. And then with these check-in tests that we're providing, um, we've created over 40 of them 
and they were up to download free on from the OCR website. We've created over 40 of them based on the initial learning column of content. That column is the very first column that I was speaking about earlier that has this key stage three sort of overlap. We've just begun um, work putting out further check-in tests on the foundation tier column of content and the higher tier column of content. So although we're not in a stage at the moment where we can provide question papers, or well, not full question papers, but sets of questions and say these are grade one questions, these are grade two, these are grade three, we can sort of put questions out there that fall into these three content areas that were part of the initial um, GCSE content document. And so if, if people want to take a look at the check-in test that we've um, started to put out, we can start to put out ideas of questions around those three buckets. Still a bit early to be looking in terms of individual grades, but maybe in the future we could get there. And I'll just say here from, from my own personal uh, opinion, and as I've said in my introduction, I'm not affiliated with any of the exam boards, but the checking tests are absolutely outstanding. We use them for uh, to use for with our year nines and our year 10 uh, weekly homeworks. The questions are superb. And as you say, um, I, I, I'm always looking for the updates of them, but you, you're absolutely right. There's just over 40 of them now. I see some function ones have gone up uh, fairly recently, so that's covering brand new content. And yeah, they're superb. And I'd recommend anyone listening to this, regardless of what exam board you with to check out and download all those and what's nice as well you can even download them all in one go with just a little one click into a nice zip folder so even a little touch like that's uh, very much appreciated by us busy teachers so yeah big thank you to OCR for, for those check-in tests and um, any other any other resources that you are available uh, that you want to make people aware of uh, well, one thing we put out recently, um, it sits in the promotional materials area of the OCR website, um, of the GCSE Maths website. Um, so if you go to the GCSE Maths website and click in the promotional materials section, there's a parent and learner guide. So I was having a conversation with a couple of teachers that sort of said that there are a number of fairly technical documents going up about with the new um qualification but they just needed something simple to put together to provide to parents and learners so that was the idea for the parents and learner guides it introduces a lot of the new um, ideas that are coming through within the new qualification so it talks about the new grading structure the new tiering structure introduces a few of the um, new um, content areas and talks about the new um, structure of the assessment the 90 minute papers and um, formula sheets as well so um, the parent and learner guide is um, something that we put out recently and so that idea came about through having a conversation with teachers um, we are you know subject specialists are constantly engaged in this dialogue with teachers speaking with teachers so getting ideas for what we can be spending our time on putting out there to put to best you know facilitate everyone running this qualification so there is an air, there is a little form on the GCSE maths website where anyone could submit um, ideas for resources and we can certainly for definite take a look at those and possibly make them make them up into resources online so that parent and learn guide is one thing that we put out recently we've got um, curriculum planners which are essentially schemes of work by another name um, they we've put together different approaches within those. There's a year nine one that covers just that initial learning content from the specification over a single year. There are then separate foundation and higher tier curriculum planners that take um, the remaining content and set that out over years 10 and 11. 
each topic has got a number of resources linked to it. And one of the things that we've also um, built into these schemes of work is AO2 and AO3 suggestions for that particular topic. So we're not just sort of repeating the kind of like the objective for that topic from the specification. We're actually giving ideas within the curriculum planners of how that topic could um, expand in an AO2 or an AO3 direction. We've also got lesson elements upon the resource area of the OCR website, which are, each of them is um, set to a particular topic from the uh, qualification. And the way that they work is, as the name implies, lesson element. It's not a lesson completely set down um, in whole. The idea is that these can be used in part in a lesson and spur off other ideas, you know, preempt other discussions as well and work around those. Um, delivery guides are another of the resources that we've got out there. These are, if you like, little libraries linking to other resources that are available, both OCR resources and resources that are out there from other resource bodies such as MRICH, MEI. So we've got delivery guides for a couple of topics out there. They're available to download now as PDFs, um, but we are working um, on an online system as well where you'll be able to get hold of those. There are then a number of other things. We've got mapping guides comparing the new GCSE content to the previous GCSE content to IGCSE content. And then um, we've also got a mapping guide that looks at how GCSE topics are um, how they fit in the, the stepping stone qualifications that we have for GCSE math. So where we've got um, Cambridge progression qualifications, functional skills maths qualifications, those qualifications that OCR has for any learners for who GCSE isn't quite where they're at yet. We've got um, a mapping guide that sets down those topics and shows how they build up into the GCSE content. Um, We've then got um, the final set of resources that we put out there, which we call transition guides. Transition guides take a particular topic, but look at it at two different levels. For example, key stage three and key stage four. And if you like, build a bridge between those two levels. Flipping it. There's a, there's a ton of stuff there. And it's I've never known a time like this in math teaching where there is such a time of uncertainty but there's such a wealth of resources available from all the all the main awarding bodies so that's yeah that's a, a fantastic bundle from from OCR and I'd strongly urge teachers to to go and check those ones out I'd like to turn our attention now to the, the tricky uh, topic of grade boundaries and I've, I've given up asking uh, for any uh, firm decision off any of the awarding bodies for, for fixed grade boundaries because I'm fully aware of, of the problems of that and, and no awarding body wants to come out and say that this is going to be a level five, this is going to be a level four because they'd be held account to that and so on. But I wonder if you'd be willing to answer this for me, Neil. Roughly and as rough as you want to be out of your out of the 300 marks available for a higher and a 300 marks available for a foundation. What would you imagine the level five grade boundary would be if you just if you had to say if someone was forcing you to say what what, what would you imagine out of 300 it would be on a higher and 300 on a foundation. I'm not sure I could say, and, and you know, I, I I could maybe go away and get back to you and do a bit of maths around what I might think it would be, but it would be, yeah, it's it's tricky at the moment, and I can I can certainly appreciate that 
causing concern out there where we're not able to say where grade boundaries are. But the reality is that just the things that we need to set grade boundaries, um, you know, student performance and, you know, statistics from Ofqual, we just don't have those at the moment. So I, I, I could put a, a number out there, but I, it, yeah, it, it, it would be as valid as your guess and as valid as the guesses of teachers out there, really. Well, I'll tell you what. Well, let let see if you'll deal me on this. If I, I if I put a number out there for for the higher, will you tell me? Will you do play higher or lower? Uh, in just your personal opinion of, of of or even just humor me to say whether I, whether I'm close or not. Yeah. So I'm going to go for. Let's have a think here. So level five on uh, higher, I would imagine something around about out of your three hundred, something around about. 100 and between 130 and 150 marks out of 300 for a level five would i be way off with that would you imagine on higher tier i would imagine it'd be a bit lower down to 120 uh, possibly as i say it's hard to say at the moment it's hard to talk about particular you know numbers and values um, it's it's tough is it's tough isn't it and I, I again I've I've believe me I've I've pushed AQA and edX on I've had the exact same exact same response and I think as teachers we we can appreciate the difficulty but at the same time it's it's frustrating because we've we've got this this new specification that that we're trying to teach and we've got to make decisions about tier entries re- relatively soon because even though this GCSE is going to be sat for the first time next academic year we've still got decisions over which content to teach students and if we're not going to thinking of putting them in for the higher then there's no point teaching them some of the new the, the new higher content and it's just looking for that little bit of guidance and I just I, I don't know from a naive teacher's perspective I would just imagine that the amount of time that's gone into this GCSE and the amount of time and resources that have been spent writing these papers and obviously your knowledge of and all the experience of writing papers in the past and Ofqual's advice over how previous grades map roughly to new grades. I just hope that one of the awarding bodies will be able to come out and say, you can't hold us to this, but as a rough guide, we would imagine that this mark out of 300 in your case would roughly be a level four and higher. This mark will be roughly a level five. And that would just mean that schools could put try these sample assessment materials out with their students and actually have a bit of data to go off and start thinking about and making decisions. Um, can you see the kind of teacher's frustrations on that one? Yeah, for definitely. I, I, I agree with everything that you've just said. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, it's a question that I'm asked, you know, pretty much daily, you know, where are these grade boundaries going to sit? And I would love to be able to, you know, get answers out there. Um, the reality is at the moment, there just isn't the information there to be able to set anything confidently from. And, you know, it's going to be a bit of time before we can get there, but if, hopefully we might be able to put something out next year as a bit of guidance, but that's, you know, grey areas. It's scary, isn't it? Because, again, it's next year. We're, we're then in the kind of year that, that this exam is going to be, be set. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's worrying times. I'd say it's it's a question I get asked um, a lot as well, and it's it's teachers, yeah, it's, it's a big concern for teachers because it's, 
it's just very hard to to make any predictions of how your students are going to go when you've you've nothing to go off so as soon as you know please please give us a shout on that one neil and uh yeah we'll we'll, we'll spread the word but i do appreciate it it's, it's a difficult one and, and thanks for at least humoring me with my uh yeah my, my rough guesses on that one um slightly hopefully slightly nicer question for you this time um with the ramped up demand for the GCSE um, uh, on both higher on foundation tier, um, I'd imagine that we're going to get um, an increased cohort of students for whom um, accessing the foundation tier is just not going to be possible um, at, at that lower end. What qualifications would OCR provide either now or in the future for those students? And what do you personally think um, those students should be doing, those students who can't access the, the, the new GCSE specification in its kind of increased demand? What, what will be a good pathway for those students to take, in your opinion? OK, well, we've got a number of different qualifications that sort of support the GCSE learning. Uh, we have entry level maths, then we've got um, functional skills maths, and then we've got Cambridge progression maths. Um, the Cambridge progression one is quite good. It's a number of fine topic exams. And then the idea is that um, any particular topic areas that a particular learner is slightly unsure of, they would then be able to focus quite narrowly on that particular topic. The idea is that then once you've done several different exams, you can then bolt those together and come out of it with a qualification. So the Cambridge progression is something I would definitely look at. Um, the functional skills and entry level, you know, the quality, you know, we've been running those for a, for a while. Um, functional skills was originally sort of put together for the post-16 market, but I do know that it's, you know, being delivered in schools as well to select learners for whom GCSE isn't quite where they're at at the moment. So I'd say that those three are worth a look for definite. And when you're traveling around schools and meeting teachers, obviously, apart from the issue of uh, grade boundaries, what are the other common questions that teachers are asking you? And maybe this will be an opportunity to get the message out to a, and get your answers out to a wider audience. Uh, well, probably the most common thing besides grade boundaries is issues of tiering. And as you were speaking about earlier, you know, we need to know which grade a student might be going at to make definite decisions but it's this idea of will there be a big shift to foundation and roughly where the grades sit I mean in some sense it isn't helpful that the new tiers are still called foundation and higher because a lot of people still seem to be thinking about them roughly the same as the previous tiers whereas in reality the new foundation goes up to a five, which is an extra grade sat on top of it, and the new higher only comes in at the grade four, which is C roughly, and so we've lost the D. So they are quite different in terms of where they where they sit and the overlap. And, you know, we've, we've already, always spoke about traditionally making that tier decision for kind of the CD borderline student. Um, but around the change in entry, I suspect that we may be sort of having to make that decision for a slightly higher ability student. We may see an increase in entry to the foundation tier, hence, and then that may sort of bring about issues, you know, in schools where teachers are having to report back as to why 
foundation tier is going up in a particular year. There might be discussions that teachers have to have with parents because, you know, there are a number of siblings and in previous years, you know, all the brothers and sisters have gone in for higher tier and all of a sudden the youngest one is, you know, the parent feels is a similar ability. But now that the tiers have shifted, they're on foundation tier. And so there are a number of areas around the tiering, I think, that seems to be a lot of the discussions that I'm having at the moment. It's interesting you say that. It's a, a Graham Cumming raised raised the exact uh, exact same point about the names of um, those. Was I assume that was something that Ofqual set in stone that it it would be called foundation and higher. Um, and was it ever brought up for discussion between the awarding bodies? This this concern because I think it's an incredibly valid concern. You're, you're absolutely right, and I can imagine our parents um, and our kids kicking off left, right, and centre for the reasons you've said. Um, was, so firstly, was it Ofqual that um, said that they needed to be called foundation and higher? And was it was this issue raised at an early stage about the namings of them? Um, it's been part of the the GCSE structure for a while. Um, it is certainly kind of was part of the discussions that we were having with Ofqual around the tiering, but it was never really discussed. You know, the actual names. It's only really something that's really came about once we had the grading information from Ofqual, which you know came out um, around October, November 2014, that we were sort of really able to get a feel for where they sat because we we had information that the new foundation tier was going to be grades one to five, for instance, and we were like. Okay, great. <laughs> you know, when we were having those initial discussions around tiering and how things should fit together, you know, we 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 had the idea that foundation was going to be grades one to five, but we didn't know at that point in time, you know, eighteen months ago, what a grade one and a grade five was going to be, and similar thing for the higher tier. So we really weren't in a position to even consider you know exactly how mm. the new tiers would compare back to those ones because we didn't have those grade comparisons when we did get that information the tiers were long set it's a shame isn't it because just the simple thing um, of renaming them so graham suggested something like core and extension it would alleviate a fair few numbers of, of these problems um i think because it teachers and myself included are obsessed with comparing current foundation to new foundation current higher to new higher but if just the, the subtle change of thinking all right actually it's a different it's a completely different paper it's not like the old foundation this is core and the higher isn't like the previous higher this is extension and then evaluating them on their own terms as opposed to comparing them back to the previous ones i think would make a, a world of difference and yeah it's a I think it's it's a shame that I think it's a it's a missed trick by by Ofqual there not to not to consider changing the names on that one. Yeah, I think it was something that might have been you know could have been considered because I mean there's so much that's changing in this new qualification that you automatically want to find those bits that haven't changed. And so if you just see that the names haven't changed, then you assume that it hasn't changed and you move on to searching out for the next bits that you can see have changed. Absolutely. Whereas, you know, a change in name would have probably, you know, triggered that for some people so that they could, you know, see, ah, uh, yes, you know, the new foundation tier does go up to a grade five, which is kind of C minus B plus kind of territory. And then when you start to, having those thoughts then you start to understand why maybe standard form trigonometry has started to come into the foundation tier and it's less about saying well it's not about how the foundation tier from 
the new specification to the previous specification. It's not about comparing that knowledge. It's more about saying, well, the new foundation tier has got access to this slightly higher grade. And so to be able to reach up into that grade, students are going to have to demonstrate a bit of ability with newer topics. And so that is kind of, I suspect, why, you know, some of these content areas have shifted about between the topics. Absolutely, and I mean, for God's sake, they've they've changed grades to numbers, so you'd think, uh, yeah, changing a name wouldn't be beyond the realms of possibility. Yeah. But anyway, but anyway, um, so fi- final question really for you, and this is uh, this is your chance to kind of sell yourself, and I think you've you've done a wonderful job outlining all the resources and um, and the differences between between uh, OCR's paper. But if you could, um, as briefly as as possible, if you've got someone listening to this podcast who's uh, like we are in in our school in two minds about whether to stick we're, we're with edXL at the moment whether to stick with them or whether to go for for one of the other awarding bodies why should a teacher choose um, OCR ahead of the others okay well all awarding bodies are putting out you know lots of resources and support but they're all kind of based around the similar content areas and assessment objectives they're all working off those same things so a lot of the resources are all interchangeable so to really make a decision you probably want to be looking towards the actual makeup of the qualification so the things that i was speaking earlier about where we've got you know um more marks per paper and that how that is going to impact on grade boundaries the way that the specification looks for ocr and the way that that exemplifies it a lot more and once you start to look at that the way that it ties back to um the checking tests and everything that's produced around those and again moving into kind of support you know the fact that ocr has got this subject specialist role um, that is specifically there to provide resources and support for a new qualifications. Because, I mean, traditionally, if you're working on qualifications, you'd probably be working on um, marking and then awarding, and then you'd be back to the next set of papers. So it was quite a cyclical thing that you're always locked into that. Now, with this new subject specialist position that OCR's got, you know, there's a someone always there working on the support of each of our qualifications you know you can get in touch with us by you know phone email twitter um contact details for any subject team are all on the qualification web 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 pages on the ocl website so you can always get in touch with us and respond back to queries discuss any issues and um, now down any aspects of the qualification that are you know requiring discussion with any teachers That's great. Well, Neil Ogden, thanks so much for your time today and thanks for joining us on the podcast. Okay, thank you very much. So, there was my interview with Neil Ogden from OCR. And that marks the conclusion of my trilogy of interviews with leading figures from each of the three main awarding bodies. So now seems as good a time as any to take a very brief look back and think about what we've learned from each of these interviews. Well, firstly, and probably most frustratingly, it seems we're not going to get an answer to the issue of grey boundaries anytime soon. And I can completely understand that this is due to a lack of data and also an understandable reluctance on behalf of the awarding bodies to put out a figure that they're inevitably going to be held accountable for when actual grade boundaries are published um, in 18 months time. 
but also it's dead frustrating for us teachers and I think each of the major awarding bodies are fully aware of that and they all said that it's the most popular question that they're being asked. So my advice there is to just to keep pressing them on it because eventually they're going to have to bow to pressure and put something out and I fully believe that if they put it out with a disclaimer saying that this is no, no way set in stone but this is based on our best statistical calculations and our experience just so we've got something to go off because I'm hearing uh, quotes um, of predictions for what the level 5 is going to be that differ from by 20 or 30 marks and, and I've stated um, on the end of the episode 2 what my belief of, of roughly what the, the grey boundary is going to be for a level 5 on the higher paper but you know, God only knows if that's going to be right. And it would just be nice to have someone with a bit more credibility than myself uh, just coming out there and saying, all right, this is what I reckon it's going to be, but with all the, the disclaims that go around that. So yeah, let's keep pestering on that one. Uh, secondly, I don't know about you, but I got the impression that none of the awarding bodies actually felt the GCSE needed reforming. And I guess the current uh, specification is relatively new. And it was interesting that two out of the three uh, people I spoke to both felt that problem solving was an intrinsic part of the current GCSE specification. And okay, it's been made far more explicit in the new spec, uh, but there was nothing actually wrong with the current specification as it stood in, in their opinion. And I think that's, that's quite illuminating. And that links into the third thing that I picked up on, and that's that the process just seems very rushed. And I got that feeling from each of the awarding bodies that I spoke to. They spoke about the pressure and the stress of, of having to meet those deadlines. And we've got to think of it this way. Uh, current year 10s will be the first people sitting this, this GCSE in June 2017. And we've only just, um, at the time of recording, which is uh, December 2015, we've only just seen uh, the second batch of sample assessment materials that have come out. And these are essentially the first batch that the awarding bodies are confident will, will resemble the actual GCSE because and as we spoke about in, in these interviews the variety in terms of demand and content in, in the first set that came out was absolutely ridiculous so only now are we seeing uh, for the very first time uh, what we reckon these papers are going to be looking like and yet we're supposed to have been teaching this for well at least a term if not um, a year and a bit if, if you've started this in year nine so again the whole process just seems a little bit rushed and especially when you throw into the mix the fact that we don't have this uh, th this knowledge of the, of the level boundary as well. Um, on a more positive note, I hope you've picked up from these interviews just what a wealth of resources there are available from each of the three exam boards. And I think in the past um, it's certainly been the case that you've chosen uh, resources based on the exam boards that you've been sitting because there was uh, subtle differences in the way the questions were asked um, and the presentation of the papers and so on. But now more than ever my advice would be just bleed them all dry. Just take resources from all of the exam boards um, regardless of whether you've made a decision of, of which one you're going to be sitting and you heard Neil from OCR there he spent about 15 minutes just outlining all the resources that are available and you don't need a password or anything like that and that's true um, of all of the awarding bodies you can get them all for free without any commitment and just take all those resources try them out with your students and that links into my final point and then I promise I'm going to shut up um, and that's uh, if you haven't made a decision yet don't feel any pressure to uh, don't rush into it we're certainly not we're going to, probably going to make our call at the start of year 11 so at the start of the next academic year as to what board our students are going to be sitting and in the meantime we're just trying out everything so with our current year 10s uh, we give them a termly major assessment and we've chosen to give them 
a paper from each of the uh, each of the main awarding bodies. So I think they're doing, uh, I got this the wrong way around, but I think it's AQA, uh, they've just done at Christmas, then it's going to be Edexcel uh, Sample Assessment Material at Easter and OCR at June. And we'll mark those, we'll interview the students, uh, we'll, we'll interview the, the teachers, just get a bit of feedback, and that's going to go into helping us make a more informed decision. So I don't think there's any point rushing into anything uh, just yet. Just just play the field, uh, see what's going on there and see, see what grabs you. Uh, the, the sellers... Uh, um, sorry, the, the buyers, which are us teachers, are in a very strong position um, at this um, great time of uncertainty. Anyway, that's enough from me, and I promise um, in future episodes I'm taking a break from this GCSE because I can't mention level boundaries anymore. It's, it's giving me an headache. So um, I promise that's that's the last one of those for a while, and we've got some really exciting episodes lined up for you in the near future. But as I say, enough for me because I know what you're all thinking. Surely it must be time for the podcast puzzle. Well, fear not. Of course it is. And for this, I'm going to hand back to my guest, Mr. Neil. Okay, well, since it's almost 2016, we've got a, a sort of a two-stage puzzle around 2016. So the very first one, fairly basic. 2016, it's a triangular number. How many rows will it have? And then moving on from that, there's something quite interesting about the number 2016. When you square it and then add it to the cube of it. So 2016 squared add 2016 cubed. What's special about the result? Well, the Great Exam Board podcast trilogy is now complete. Hopefully that's been both useful and interesting. I'm officially on a self-slash-wife-imposed ban from talking about GCSEs or grade boundaries for a while now. And next episode, I have something completely different lined up. So please make sure you tune in for that. All that's left for me to do is to once again thank our special guest, Neil Ogden from OSTR, from giving up his time to appear on the show, and to podcastthemes.com for the lovely jazzy music that you heard throughout today's episode. Although I know my dad is not a fan. For comments and questions, or to just say hello, you can find me on Twitter, where I am at MrBartonMaths, or via email, where you can get me at teachers at MrBartonMaths.com. Please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcast platform, and if you could help spread the word about this podcast, that will be hugely appreciated by me. As I mentioned, I will return next episode with something different, but still a dose of mathematical goodness, so take care of yourselves, and bye for now.